a Podcast One production. Hello, I'm Gary Megan and welcome to A Plate to Call Home where we explore the stories behind the food and get to know some of my food heroes. Darren Robertson is a chef and a passionate advocate for farm-to-table cooking. When he's not foraging or surfing, he's in the kitchen cooking, fermenting, pickling and testing recipes. Following his training in the UK under Mark Raffin at a Michelin-starred Gravetime Manor, Darren moved to Australia where he landed a role at Tetsuya's and rose to the position of head chef. He was there for eight years. Since 2012, he has worked alongside his mates at Three Blue Ducks in Sydney, a restaurant dedicated to good food, ethical food and sustainable food. And most importantly, and I think it's part of his ethos, doing it with fun. Darren is also the co-author of three cookbooks. He's appeared on MasterChef, Iron Chef USA and The Great Australian Cookbook and MKR. Gee, what a resume. So, here's Darren Robertson. So, Darren Robertson, huh? The bright and shiny life of uh, a worldly chef up in Byron Bay. You're living the dream, are you not? Not really. I'm living. I'm still standing, <laughs> which is good. But uh, no, it's good, mate. Like, it, like, life's good. We've got, you know, a couple of kids now, live 20 minutes away from the restaurant. And yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm, st- I'm still really enjoying it. Byron's in a really good place. It's had some really great exposure the last few years. Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of, Young blood moved to the area, sort of Josh and Astrid from, you know, Fleet, got like a two-hat restaurant just in Brunswick, obviously Harvest and Barrio. So we've got some, there's some really decent offering now. And I think you'll find that all around Australia, like it used to be regional dining, used to be almost like the the younger brother, which just wasn't any, you know, quite as good, you know, yeah. quite as progressive. But I think now you look at, you know, like Dan Hunter, you know, James Viles, Bioda, Aaron Turner, You've got all these other restaurants that are amazing, but they're outside of Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane. So it's nice to be a part of that sort of regional scene. From a hospitality point of view, there's been massive change in the last, what, 10 years particularly. So Byron has morphed into, you know, from a residential point of view, probably the most desirable place in Australia to live, I'd imagine. But its food scene was way behind the eight ball. I mean, everybody went to Noosa, didn't they? You know, to, yeah. to get a go to a decent restaurant. Yeah, and that that's what... That- And I just think, you know, I had some friends, I've had uh, a few friends up here try to make it, you know, 10 years ago and doing some great stuff, but it was, it was very, very seasonal back in the day, you know, only 10 years ago. So you'd like a lot of places, you'd make your money in summer, ban down the actually for winter and it was just up and down. So now it is a lot of people, it is, it has been attractive for people to live, maybe commute, but a lot of young families and creatives have moved into town. So you've got that local support as well, which obviously you need during those quieter times to sort of keep the you know, bums on seats and stuff. Yeah, so okay. um, because that is, because it's sort of stabilised, you know, obviously you've got like the next gen producers as well, lots of distilleries and farmers have moved up. Um, so the whole place has become a bit more exciting and yeah. and also like, you know, financially sustainable for everyone to actually run a, a place as big as the farm. Because running a regional restaurant, I mean, I always, as a bitter and ageing restaurant, ex-restaurateur, I look at, you know, people that have that lifestyle dream and they move down the coast and they're happy for the first month and then the reality of that seasonal, you know, ebb and flow is uh, yeah. disastrous actually, you know, because you go from summer flush thinking everything's great and then you hurl into a, into the down season and your income just dries up. Yeah. And they've really got, you know, you've sort of got a shout from the rooftops as well because you kind of, 
you know, everyone's writing about and interested in what's happening here in the cities and all the journos there and the, you know, it's and, and all the shiny stuff. And so it's like, you know, I see so many chefs in the past that have moved to the region. It's like they fall off the abyss. And so yeah. what's that? What, what's he doing? I was really, you know, and so we, we, you know, we did find that when we first started, you've got to kind of go, look, we haven't given up. We've just, we're just not in the city anymore. <laughs> We've moved away. What was the catalyst in, in Byron, do you think, before you turned up? What, what do you think started the change? Can you, do you know? I think it was a gradual thing. There's a lot of celebs and stuff have moved up. You know, there's the sort of the Hemsworths and I, I think the music scene, there was, there's always been really good music festivals. So because of that, you've got that kind of music surf culture was really prominent. And then third of all, it's like the food. I think a lot of the a lot of musos want to eat. You know, there was um, an influx of, you know, these sort of the Morris Tazzinis and stuff came into town to do Splendour and, you know, like Mary's. And, and so it just, it did become this, um, yeah, just a bit more of an exciting place and respected place for food. We don't have to take a trip up to Brisbane to have a, a decent steak and plate of oysters. But I think it's just a, a gradual organic thing. I don't think there was one moment we, we we got in town just after fleet and it was kind of like we arrived a harvest we kind of stepped up and it was just you know five six years ago i think just maybe something clicked uh, but i don't think it was a single thing uh, but i think we definitely we us us it was like right place right time you know decent location doing sort of food that people are interested in you know it's on a farm it's not super complicated so yeah so we we're pretty lucky i think if we did it earlier we, it probably wouldn't have worked i think as a you know, as a visitor to Byron, it feels that as you're driving into town, the farm uh, dictates the traffic. Does it not? Yeah, it feels I'm, like you know, and when I'm, I'm talking about your restaurant, so you you join a queue and you go, gee, it's going to be busy going into town and they're all turning off and going into yeah, your car park. I mean, yeah. sensational success. I mean, I think the first time I turned up, it was so busy, nobody could fit me in. And then I just, I just, no, I just wandered off. I didn't find, and then like, second time you said, why didn't you ring me? I'm like, it's okay. I remember seeing you. I was bloody it's okay. Yeah, but it's okay. Yeah, I just yeah. thought, how fantastic's this? You know, because rewind the clock and, you know, it was a bit of a culinary wasteland and all of a sudden now, like food tourism seems to be, it's on the map and you're one of the hotspots. Yeah. I think that's nice. I think that's when people talk about trends coming and going and all that sort of jazz. I do think one thing that's been kind of on the boil for a while is, is that food experience. So people going not only to a restaurant, but then going to like visit the cheesemaker down the road. There's like stuff that we, you know, I know you're into all that. And I, I sort of like doing that when I'm, when I'm away to get that, like to really immerse yourself in that experience, not just have a meal and then go back to your bloody hotel. But mm. you know, so I see a lot of that around here. I mean, all over Australia, but I think that's definitely the future where these little producers do rely on tourism now. Like people are having to think of ways, other ways to, create um, revenue streams so i think people are sort of tapping into tourism now and, and opening their doors because it's really interesting stuff yeah i think the more the public really like learn about food same as as cooks like you just, the more you want to know it just becomes this fascinating world and so that's been really nice to see like be interested in going to the, the dairy or the brewer or the dis distiller as well as just typically your cafe and your restaurant and it's a little bit of um an eden up there isn't it i mean when you kind of look at the whole area whether you know, encompasses the hinterland and, you know, Mullumbimby and all that, you can, you find everything, don't you? I mean, somebody said, oh, you can grow tomatoes, like, you know, nine months of the year. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. No, it's No, mate, it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, not only, and that's what we found, like, because I was living in, you know, Bronte and sort of you know, around Sydney for, for the last 15 years. So just to, to be honest, just to have a garden's amazing, you know, to actually grow some stuff. 
But then, yeah, not only obviously that it's famous for its beaches, but you sort of drive around the hinterlands and there's all these like kind of honesty boxes and bits and pieces. Yeah. You can kind of just, you find anything. So we'll go and grab, you know, yeah, like zucchinis, leafy greens, Ginger. fresh flowers. <laughs> Sorry? Ginger, you know, turmeric. Yeah, right, I mean, yeah. like well, and it's, it's, yeah, it's amazing. So it is, it's got the views and stuff, but for, for the sort of foodie or family, whatever, just this, like it's, it's a part of the view, it's part of the adventure. It's quite spread out. So there's, you know, Byron's great. I, I find, you know, you mentioned Mullumimbi, yeah, a lot of those other towns are as exciting now. The Mullums, the Bruns, you know, Federal, like Dome is an amazing Japanese place. You've got all these other little pockets that are opening up. So that, for me, that's the gold. Byron's great. It's crazy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> What? And that, that I would love to claim that that you know, the traffic is because of us, but that, that's kind of always been like summer. It's it's like bumper to bumper, and they and they fortunately for us they have to drive past the farm. But it's it's um there's so much on offer there, and it's you know it's the past and the lighthouse and all this. It's kind of like the the Sydney the, the borough version of like the Opera House and the Bridge and stuff stuff you sort of have to see below the if you get below the surface. There's some really really good stuff that really isn't like it's not as touristy, but for someone that lives up here, it's it's, it's great. What was the philosophy or tell us what the philosophy is around the farm because it's a pretty beautiful place we we got we got kind of snaps up from so the owners came to bronte once they bought this um a six acre land they came to bronte they're looking for someone to run a, a, a restaurant um, with the idea of having multiple businesses that work together maybe a baker you know some farmers whatever and, and some restaurants and so we went up there and pretty much jumped to the chance and that was it so we sort of oversaw the kind of building of our restaurant met all the farmers because there's lots of different collectives and um and it was basically just look we're gonna we're gonna throw all this stuff at you and we were just like look cooking's pretty easy grow whatever you want the the more weird and wonderful the better heirloom just go crazy and then and we'll just use it and so that was it and then you know a sort of red it was good times to sort of uh went to see sandal cats do a talk on the uh, the art of fermentation which thank god because it was like well, you work on a, you, you know, you work with the farmers and like nature sort of changes. Some, some, sometimes like you'll just get tons and tons of cabbage all in one go. Like shit, like, you know, and so you do, I do spend a lot. I'm just literally right now, I've just left the farm, just made tons and tons of, um, of kimchi. So we did, they just gave, they just dropped off like the most amazing wombok I've ever seen in my life. Like it's stunning. But um, usually with us chefs, it's like an art for It's just like when, you, when it's just about to, you know, sort of die slow if you go, oh, let's just turn it into something. Whereas this, it's like, okay, right, it's just been picked yesterday. Let's turn it into something. It's just going to be the most amazing kimchi or kraut, whatever it is. So that's really nice. So for us, it was it was more kind of, um, you know, we, we, we laid out all these ground rules and guidelines. Like for me, I was like, okay, let's only use food for within 100Ks and, you know, all these kind of um, rules and, and yeah, uh, parameters. But a lot of it, because of the size of the place and also then you've, you've got, oh, well, look, what about Australian cheeses? Like surely as we're, we're such a touristy place, we've got a responsibility to showcase like the best of Australia as well as just the two cheeses that are up the road. So it's kind of like that. They, they kind of evolve. And and I suppose you compromise, to be, to be honest. You know, like, well, we've, you know, we do like, yeah, we do pretty big numbers. So we use the farmers, obviously, heaps of other local producers. But we're using still, you know, like, Kinkawaka mussels and, you know, Hiramasa kingfish and Olsen salt from all over Australia, like places that we've been to, we know that, you know, that, that it's such a, a very aligned philosophy. But for us, it was more just problem solving, I think. It was like trying to use the whole ingredient, not sort of go to town on labour and like making, trimming everything and doing all the stuff that we used to do in the fine dining restaurants just because we can't afford that. Like we didn't, you know, we haven't really got that much money. <laughs> so, um, 
mate, and that and that was really it. And it was just do it was just do tasty stuff. It was just do you know we're here we're in we're in on the middle of the field in a tin shed pretty much. People here are quite forgiving. Typically they're on holiday. It's, you know you you know it's like there's kids are running around. There's bloody dogs, chickens on tables, and I I love that. I, I really do love it. So you can you can have a bit more fun than your you know once in a lifetime experience hats and and whatever. It's, so, yeah. it's much more real. I mean, I love food like that. I've spoiled myself with fine dining over the years and now I just can't be bothered. And it sounds terrible because there's now, I've spoken to chefs over the last week, they're going, what? What are you talking about? But when I go to a place like the farm, that connection and that earthiness and the fact that you say there's a chicken on the table or it's raining outside so everybody's just got to cram in or it's, yeah. I like that. I, I like I, the authenticity and I, like, I yeah. like the chaos. I really do. And I don't get me wrong. I love, I still, Christ, I, I love fine dining. I've got such a huge respect for those guys. I know how consuming it is, mm. you know, and it's, it's, it, it, I was a part of that world for many years and it's just, yeah, it's, it's just a different kettle of fish. Yeah. But I just, um, I just, I prefer this. So. I should clarify it, shouldn't I? It shouldn't upset everybody in, in the fine dining world. Uh, you'll get letters, the, Gary. Yeah, I will. It's just the fact that, you know, you know Gary hates fine dining I, chefs. No, it's not true. It's not true. <laughs> I think I think it's the fact that it as a one off experience, you know, you can immerse yourself in it and it's and it's wonderful. But as an everyday, as a thing that you really find, you know where you crave something or something's delicious? Mm. I think, you you know, yeah. I've got a loaf of bread or what were you baking? I'm trying to remember. There was something Mandy said, no, we have to get those. And we, we stopped by the farm like three or four times because the bakery section is brilliant. Oh, the Portuguese tarts. Oh, maybe. the Portuguese tarts. Yeah. There you go. Because there's a craving, right? There's a, yeah. there's a deliciousness about that one element that just, yeah. you know, that gets you, you know? Yeah. So we've got so that's our, so we've got the bread social, which is like this bakehouse. It's three three of our mates sort of came on. They opened up the same as so they're right next to the kitchen. So we we work with those guys. They they make the breads, pastries, um, and they're they're mate. It's, it's nice to be nice to see, watch those guys grow as well. But yeah, I mean that. But that was always like the ducks was always about. It was it was just basic. It was like good coffee, you know, yeah. decent bread, you know, a, a decent breakfast, and it, and it was just like hitting those. Like you say, the stuff you crave. Yeah. I think uh, I read somewhere that you said you wanted, you know, with the original three ducks, which was in Bronte, Bronte right? Yeah. And yeah. that you wanted to be delicious, but a little rough around the edges was okay. I like that description. Yeah, totally. And I think, um, and you look at all locations and that's what they're like. There's not a bloody straight line in any of the restaurants. Like most of them we've kind of jumped in on the tools as terrible as, terrible as I am. But like everything's a little bit skewy and a bit wonky, but it, it has got soul. Like the tables at the farm are still now there. It's an old basketball court floor that we just got for nothing, put through a fitness so made tables. And there's like there's, there's so many little stories like that with all of the restaurants where, and they're not perfect, you know, <laughs> and nor is the food. But it's got there's definitely there's a story with everything. Like generally, you know, it's like shit. Josh Josh grew those radishes, or you know, like the, the little things like that. So that that's that's really cool. And luckily for us now, people do care about that stuff. They they they, they sort of know who the chefs are, or who the som is, where he's worked. You know, maybe the the winemaker. So it's a lot easier for us. Not that we're super, not we're expensive, but also, but we're, not, we're certainly not cheap either. And so to justify that and, and, and make that information accessible without a whole lecture on well, yeah, whatever, but just to, just to have that, even on a chalkboard, and go, oh, cool, like there's exit from over there. That's really that's really interesting. So yeah, so that that's been really nice. Was this deliberate? So move to Byron. I mean, other than that, you got approached. Were you dreaming of a change? Um, we were. Yeah. So we, when we were at the Ducks. We were we were thinking about in Bronte having a uh, running our own farm, so we had a, a tiny little back garden. We had three chickens, a beehive, and and, and some li- fruit, a few little fruits and veggies. And, and honestly, it's like 
the size of this office, which is tiny. <laughs> but um, it kind of, it really snowballed. Like after that, there was a lot of people, like the council donated many planter boxes along McPherson Street. Um, Iggy's Bread got on board. A lot of people were starting to, it was that kind of, you know, grow your own food sort of movement. But also a lot of people, it's funny how just people really stretch the truth. So a lot of people were writing, oh, these guys, they grow all their own food. You know, all the eggs are from the, you know, the chickens out the back. It's like, we're not even allowed to <laughs> use the three eggs, eggs anyway. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it really, it sort of became a large part of our identity. And, and we were learning a lot about growing, growing food and permaculture and sustainability and all that sort of jazz. And so the conversations was, well, let's just bloody, let's actually take a farm and, and, and start growing. And then we're like, well, none of us can actually, we're not that, you know, we've got no money and we don't know how to farm stuff on scale. Because half the stuff we were growing in the back garden, we were either we was dying or it just get you know caterpillars over it. <laughs> so um, and that was it. But literally, we must just put it out there. So and that was it. Was just the invitation. So and that it clicked. And the idea really was, if I'm honest with you, same as the moving to Australia plans. It was like I'll do two years there. We'll set it up, and then I'll go back to Sydney, go back in my little flat, and we'll live and happily ever after. You know, and I'll go to Byron on holiday. And then within, I bought Mags. Well, we all bought our partners up here and literally within, I'd probably say two or three months, I was like, this is it. I'm, I'm staying here. Um, and then, you know, kids and Christ, you know, just life. And then five years later, we're still here. <laughs> I yeah. look at, um, and I, I think I said it right at the beginning, I look at your life and I go, it's, it's a life that so many of us, including me, are just very envious. And I know there's a lot of hard work behind it, but it's, there's a difference between um, thinking about it and living it. Do you, kick yeah. do you kick yourself? I pinch you, myself. Yeah, pinch yourself. You know, I, I, I do actually. Honestly, mate, I like, you're right. You're right. So it is bloody hard work. And I think a lot of people just think, oh, you moved to bar and you guys are on your hammocks and surfing and stuff. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Like all of us owners are still there. So I can go back there now. And there's, there's two, so it's obviously there's Andy and Mark are in Sydney. But myself, Chris, um, Jeff and Sam, we've, we've all got jobs within the uh, company. So like obviously there's three of us are chefs. Chris O's the barista, Sam's the restaurant manager, and Jeff's the sort of admin guy, the mother hen, pays the bills. <laughs> and we're all in it still. And we're, you know, we still work because I think you sort of, you kind of have to, you know, we just, and, and so, you know, I'll come home and you know, there's still that work-life balance juggle. But we're not there yet. I'm not just like, you know, on the golf course and calling up. <laughs> but also, I, I still like it. Obviously, our roles have changed. Like, I'm bloody 44 in a couple of weeks. And so, you know, I'm not on the line for, you know, every service and sort of, and, and pretending to be either. Like there's, there's guys that run rings around me now, but I'm still in the kitchen, you know, tinkering around with recipes and, you know, just trying to streamline stuff and just, and, and, and to be honest, just improve our offering. Yeah. And sort of, we, and I think you sort of have to in this day and age now, like it's, it's so, it's so tough. So as soon as you start relaxing, you, I think you start falling behind. Did you think, it's a... I think we all realize that. Is it the but, secret um, oh, to your success, do you think, that the fact that all the partners are still working? Because maybe if you were on the golf course, that's when the divisions start yeah, popping up, Yeah, no, right? it is, mate. What are you, where are you? Oh, you're on your couch. Yeah, and, and, and that actually happened. Yeah, that happened That happened a few years ago where it, it got like that. It was like, you know, we were really thought we were killing it. You know, you've got busy restaurants, but it, busy restaurants don't necessarily mean you're making money. Like, you know, we were just really took our off the ball and they're like, yeah, we know we're fine. And then we've all got other interests. And we kind of did. And then, you know, business is all good when it's all good. But as soon as you start losing money, it's oh, like, yeah. well, so what are you, what, sorry, what are you doing? You're like, well, what am I doing? What are you doing? I'm yeah. out. You know, da, da, da. And, and, then, and, and thankfully it happened at a time where, you know, we were at a bit of a crossroads and we all, as, as owners, and we are all employees of the company, 
we had to decide, like, are we going to take this seriously? Are we in or, or are we out? And it was you know, all good either way. And we all decided to hold each other a lot more accountable, you know, regular meetings and actually have responsibilities for, for things. Because it, it, it happens a lot. I see, it, I see it a lot with partnerships. And on paper, we are uh, like, it's like this, it, sh- it shouldn't happen. It's almost- I was going to say, you're a, you know, in my business experience, you're a big and unlikely partnership. It sounds great. They're like almost uninvestable. You've got six guys, mm. three of them are chefs. Working with one chef's a nightmare, three of them. Uh, you do know what I mean? Like we're just lots of different locations. It's not, it's not a franchise because every, every restaurant's a little bit different. You know, it's, it, it's obviously a, a large part of it, a lot of labor, you know, using these ingredients. You're still, you know, you're scrubbing stuff. And there's, a, there's a lot of stuff that you, we try and make everything from scratch. Yeah, it, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah. But it, it does work with us. And I think that's been, we've learned so much about the business of the business over the last four or five years, definitely. But we've, we've had a lot of guidance. But you, you're right. I think if, if you start relaxing, you, I think if one of you starts just, just sort of relaxing and just taking his after ball, any of those problems become amplified. And I think it's, yeah, we've still, we're not out of the woods yet. So we do, we still need to sort of work on this thing. I, I still want to be involved in HOSPO, honestly, when I'm 80. Like I never, ever want to retire. But definitely there's, you just have to respect your partner's wishes and what and, and how they want to contribute. And it's just like, I'd be kidding myself if I thought like Mark or Andy are going to be on the pass for five days a week, you know, conducting service. Like there's other things now, there's, media and there's recipe right there's all this other stuff which is yeah. as important i was um, going to say it's, yeah. it's kind of essential you know even now you know so post-covid coming out it was all about you know remarketing re yeah. reinvigorating um yeah. and giving confidence isn't it to customers that you're a great place to come and visit and a safe place to come and visit we, we've always been all right you know even on like the sort of online presence and the medium and stuff but i think that that really kind of sh- um it was a prime example to prove how important that stuff is. Like just this communication with the customer. So whether it's like a, a live chat or more photos or just, just to let people know what's going on. So that that's definitely, and I think with all staff, like the Ducks, I never wanted it to be about the chef, like the, this, the sort of demigod Darren or Mark. It was always about like everyone, like the barista should be as important as the front of house manager, as the Somme. It was this whole collective. And of course the chef still gets most of the attention it's slowly changing but we kind of do with your investment into into the farm i mean when i say investment i mean your time and your effort and your creativity and working with these farmers is it something that you've realized because it's a bit of a pipe dream you go right i'm gonna you know a bit like back in bronte where you're gonna grow my own vegetables and i'm gonna rear my own chickens and whatever now you've got a reality that you you're invested in and that you've got um you know this regenerative you know agriculture is it workable is it going to continue to work What's your role as a chef in that future? I, well, I, I think it's definitely workable. workable. I think the re, regen ag scene is 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 really. Uh, I think it's blowing up. I think this now it's becoming. You've got like Joel Salatin. I saw he's on like Joe Rogan, and you've got all these like incredible food practices that are now becoming a lot more mainstream. It's 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 becoming less fringe, and it's amazing to be a part of that. With, with our role, really, uh, you know, in, in Byron, it, it's still. It's because uh, of the size that we are, and obviously it's, it's it's just communicating with local councils, farmers, customers, staff. It's definitely yeah. It, it's I, I do find like we're the kind of I'm sort of like the UN peacekeeper sometimes. You're just trying just just trying to work out problems. You know, like there's problems with all businesses, and whether it's you know getting the septic tank back up and running, or using up a particular product, or we 
we're using too much water. There's, there's all sorts of stuff that come with and problems that come with. Usually, like in a restaurant, it's got quite a small space. You're in the city and, and still stuff happens. You get machinery breaking down or whatever. But on the on the farm, it's so much more to, to worry about. And, it, and it's also, it's quite, it's large scale stuff. So typically it's quite expensive. Yeah, so so we do we deal with interesting problems on a on a day to day basis, and, um, and people it, are people are invested in you. Those suppliers are invested in you because the the machine's turning, isn't it? The wheels are turning, and you got to keep going to keep their livelihoods. Yeah, and you do feel that responsibility for like the, so we've got Christ, we're over two hundred fifty staff now, and and all of the suppliers, and so and we've you know we've come through obviously a few sort of sketchy times whether it's bushfires or covert whatever whatever it is but now the knock-on effect that we have I, I really don't take that lightly at all like that sh- that stuff it stresses you it's the, it's and it's those moral dilemmas where you're just like i just know whatever i if we go left or we go right here like someone's gonna have to feel some pain like you, you know and it's and it is it's it's quite serious stuff it's not like you're just back in the day where life was so simple you get your box of goods you've got a mise en place list you've got a chopping board and you have about four hours to make something delicious you go you clean down you go home it was it's such a I, and i miss those days it's a real <laughs> simplicity and honesty to it you know like it's four of you in the kitchen and it, and it has changed now, but I do like this. I, I do. I, I thrive on this stuff. I, I, I like to, these sort of little challenges. And, and I've always been, a, you know, never never the best chef in the world, but pretty good at picking up stuff, learning, and and, and communicating to people. And I was always, you know, fairly level headed as in in typically quite stressful environments. Certainly back in the day, long hours and you know all yeah. sort of good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I, I love your description of not the best chef in the world. Like, There'll be a yeah. few people that are arguing about that. They're going, oh, why am I listening to this for? What's going on? You know Checks what? the post, Gary. <laughs> I love making this series, and I hope that you love listening too. If you do, subscribe and send us a message, because believe it or not, we actually read those messages. What we want to know is what you think about the show, more importantly about the conversations that we have with our guests. We love hearing from you. That's what I'm trying to say. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One Australia or wherever you listen and if you're feeling like it maybe even recommend the show to a friend you never know they might find it as delicious as you do are other cafes jumping on to your supply chain like do you actively promote that or are you no, just uh, so you mean so can they use produce from the farm yeah I mean do people go hey Daz, where do you get this from? And, you know, can I jump onto this and use it too? Yeah, yeah. No, so to, be, to be honest, pretty much right now, it's pretty much everything they grow we use. Right. So because 86 acres, like, sounds like a lot. It's actually not that much land, really. So there's, you know, there's like a, there's pigs, there's there's cattle, there's, you know, um, egg-laying hens. Yeah. And there's also pasture-raised um, chickens for the meat. And then there's probably sort of 16 to 20 acres of, there's a, a, six different teams of farmers growing their own stuff. Um, but it's, we, we, we honestly, we, we, we go for a lot of products. So what we don't sell in the restaurant, we, we sell in the, in the produce store, which is this big tin shed with, with, you know, breads and pastries and then with jams, ferments, take home meals now. So it, it kind of all goes through, through there. Um, there that really are is quite, kind of a closed loop system, isn't it? You're yeah, working I mean, well. There, there have been quite a times where they'll do like a little lo- local veg- vegetable box, which which goes really well. And it's, it's like, look, as long as as long as it doesn't go to waste, all good. But that said, there's also there's lots of other farmers around the area. 
you know, and if people come up and they're like, oh, where'd you get this bloody, where'd you get this finger line? So, okay, well, it's all mate down there is 10 minutes, you know, second, second left. So there's definitely, you know, there's no kind of like, we're not trying to keep any of suppliers secret or anything, but um, we're, we're lucky that we, we do try and, of course, let's try and use every bloody leaf yeah. that comes off the farm. Yeah, it's great. Because it's, it's, it's not certified organic, but it's organic practice. Like yeah. it's, you know, chemical free, the shed load of labor. And um, it bloody, you know, it's, it's like, it's tropical. It, when it rains, it really rains. <laughs> or it can be, won't bloody rain for, you know, a few months. Yeah. So you've got all this, you know, stuff. When we're in this like nice warm kitchen, just doing our thing. Like you see them, I see them every single day. And it's just like, Christ, it's just, how's it today, Josh? It's freezing. You know, they're out there picking up <laughs> spring onions or whatever. It's interesting. I only ask just because you're there, it changes attitudes and it changes how other people operate, which is good to see. Can I ask, you know, Magdalena, busy life, career of her own. She's made the move with you. Um, yeah. You know, you've got children now. You know, life's different. How yeah. do you balance that enthusiasm and that passion and that hard work with everyday life? I think having kids changes everything. Mags, yeah, she's like, so she sort of, she gave up her, well, certainly put her TV media career on, on ice to move up. Like, thankfully, she sort of found her passion. Like, you know, she, she got really got into food, falling back pregnant with Archie. And just, and just this, she's a journalist by trade. So she just researches the hell out of something. So even though she's not a trained chef, like, if she, if she wants to learn how to make, I know, Pavlova, she'll just research the hell out of, you know, egg whites and why they do this, how much sugar. And, and, the, and so she'll be like, she'll make the most amazing path that you've ever seen. So that's cool. So she, you know, wrote a book and then through that just, found her sort of online space, websites, products. So that's been really nice. So we can kind of not challenge each other, but definitely like you sort of, it's just, it helps when you've got a partner that's as enthusiastic about food than you are. And she always was. She's got amazing wine knowledge, loves her Malbec. So that, that's been great. And then, and then the kids, I think having, having kids, I mean, a lot of chefs our age, you sort of, sometimes I see a lot where they just fall out of love with, with cooking. But I think... I genuinely still, I love it. I, I, I love cooking at home. And I think certainly with the, with the little ones, the, the, the best thing about being a chef is when you, when you become, if you become a father, you're like, holy shit, imagine being a father without knowing how to cook. I, you, I mean, I go to pieces as it is, but it's <laughs> such a lovely thing to be able to do. To, yeah. you know, do you know what I mean? We all like eat the same thing, you know, apart from the, you know, where they don't like chili, they eat everything else. And so that's been really nice. That's sort of reinvigorated cooking for me. And, and you do look at food a bit a different way. You, you, you think about, nutrition a lot more now and and the fats i used to cook and all this stuff where it just it's nice it's nice to see that evolution in your in your game whereas back in the day it was more about maybe making something look nice or uh, you, you, you know or trying to impress everyone with like your different techniques and all that crap you know but so i i, I, I still really I, I still love the the craft of it i like i love I, yes i love the hospo and the camaraderie and, and all of our friends to see what they're up to but just the craft of cooking and food and and, and where it's going and, you know, sustainability and all, all, all that sort of stuff. Like, I, I genuinely, like, I find it very, very exciting. How do you create that? I mean, the reason I think a lot of chefs fall out of love with food is just exhausting. They become jaded, you know, yep. tired and they, they lose the vision. And that's because they don't have any balance in life. So yeah. but you know, do you have a golden rule in terms of how you approach your day or your, how you spend yeah, time with the I, kids or your days off? I mean... Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I, I have, like I, I've experienced that, you know, working, I remember working for Tets and I was just, you, you are, you, you're just exhausted. Like it was just, it's, it was such a consuming time, but um, amazing. Like we were doing amazing food in the restaurant, but as a chef and as a human, there's not much 
at the end of those weeks, you're just not, there's not much for yourself. And it's just like the last thing you want to do, you hear me, like, of, you know, going out with this guy, but he never cooks home, never wants to cook. It's like, yeah, because he's absolutely exhausted. He's been in his feet all day. <laughs> but now I'm, I'm a lot more, obviously, protective of the family time and really vigilant. Like when I, and it's, I still mess up sometimes, when I come home, it's like tools down, phone down, come in, and it's, it's just beyond for the family. Otherwise, it just got, and still does, you come in, you're still working, you know, you're on the phone, you're talking to your partners, you're pacing up and down, things maybe aren't going so great. And it's just, it's unfair on, on the crew at home. So we, we do set these parameters and guidelines now. Like typically I'll take two days off. I, I'm not on the, you know, I'm not doing dinners anymore. I think when my second son was born, I was doing sort of three dinners and a lunch and then trying to oversee parts of the business. It was a bloody nightmare. So I, t- I, I sort of took myself off the line when Charlie was born and that was, that was lovely. And it just really, it gave me just time and space. And then you want to like, it's like when you, when you don't have to do something, you kind of want to do it more. It's a, it's a weird thing, you know? So yeah, and, I, and I'm just mindful, like I'm just mindful about exercise and diet. You know, I surf a fair bit, I do a bit of jujitsu and, 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 and definitely just try and, you know, we're not getting any younger. <laughs> But like, sort of see locals up here. I've seen like, there's a guy at 80 the other day and he was surfing the pass. It's like, fuck, I want to, I want some of that. Do you know what I mean? I had no, you know, when you're young and you look at someone that's when you're in your twenties, you think 40 is like a dinosaur and you get to 40 and you think, oh. but now it's, 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 um, I'm very mindful of that. Like I want to, I want to watch my kids grow up and I don't want to be hobbling around and you, you, it's good. It's, yeah, it's so important to look after yourself without getting all bloody super, you know, I'm not like some yoga guru walking on water, but I'm definitely very aware of our health. I always remember somebody asked me and they were not in the industry, but they said, what happens to old chefs? I couldn't answer yeah. them because actually at the time, I think I was about 26 or 27 and I actually was scratching my head and I go, I don't know what happens to old chefs. And I think what they meant by old was, yeah, kind of in their forties, you know, yeah. back in the day, but- people were kind of burnt out and, you know, moved on to different, yeah, different path in life because they well, just couldn't sustain it. Yeah, and it, and it's quite sad. It's quite a sad part of the industry because we all have worked with this, like, you know, the old guy in the corner that just has worked and probably better than all of us, but just maybe didn't get the lucky break or, you know, maybe hit the booze a bit harder, whatever it is. I work with so many, you know, of those guys. It's like, that's that could be me one day, you know, and now I am. Like, I'm the, obviously clearly the oldest in the kitchen and they're like, you know, you bloody young cups, you know. <laughs> um but it, yeah, it, it is quite sad because it is such a yeah. You just don't you don't see many. It's just you, you, you physically can't do it for one. Like yeah. it, it hurts, and it's you know ego can kind of push you so so far. And I was doing. I remember like getting up in the hoods. Like, I'll prove you young pups I'm still there. And I was just you know. And then you get home, and then you're on the laptop, and you're manager reports and whatever and it's just it, it, it just becomes too much yeah old boxers so, describe old boxers describe it as um uh, wading through treacle after round one so they're good, uh, yeah. they're, good they're good for round one but then they can't yeah. see the punches coming and they're wading through treacle and i go oh at 53 darren i can understand that sometimes i'm wading yeah. through treacle and i just got out of bed <laughs> that's uh, yeah that's it's, that's a really nice description so and it's true but i mean but then there's so many other ways to be involved in our industry now, which is also great. And, uh, um, um, you know, back in the day, it was just, yeah, be a head chef or a restaurateur. If that fails, that's it. Go and, go and be a whatever. Yeah. Uh, whereas now it, it is nice to see all these, you know, uh, social media and stuff, you know, it also gets a lot of, you know, a bad rap. And, but it, it's also this sort of online content, you know, podcasts and, and just people doing some really interesting things, writing and, so, so, so that's, that's, that's cool. That's interesting. 
Yeah, I'm, but I'm more than aware that the clock's ticking. And, you know. <laughs> I think you've got plenty of life in you yet. Yeah. Um, can I take you back a bit? I mean, you, originally you're from the UK, right? You say so you came out to Australia and you said, I think previously, that you were just going to come for a couple of years. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. What, what, so was, the, just, what um, was the decision to, to come to Australia? Because you worked at, where did you work in the UK? You worked at Grave, yeah, so Grave Time Manor. Yeah, so I worked at Place called Grave Time Manor, which is a Michelin star restaurant with um, a guy called Mark Raffan. It was an absolute gentleman. The owner said, if you do sort of two years here, I'll get in any restaurant in the world. And um, so I stayed there for three and a half years and then decided to leave. So we said, okay, where do you want to work? So it was Tetsuya's or the French Laundry, which was number one in the world at the time. And then, um, I, and then yeah, it got me a job at Tet. So I thought, oh, I'll stay there. And back then, you know, it's probably, it's, it's different now, but you had to stay in the place really for at least two or three years to sort of get to know it. And I, and I still believe that now, really. Like just to, and I was like, I want to know, just don't, it's just not just about putting somewhere fancy yeah. on your resume, which is kind of on trend then as well. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, we'll do a day at the Fat Duck, a day at LBE. You, you, you know, it was like, oh, I really want to. And so, um, and that was it. So I thought, all right, I'll do two years in Australia, then I'll go to New York. Sounds quite glamorous. I'll go there. You know, it was, uh, and then that, to be honest, I honestly, it sounds super cliche, but just fell in love with Australia. I really did. You know, started surfing, um, was blown away by, you know, a lot of my friends from overseas came and they just had these like, expat British communities. They'd talk about British things. They'd watch the football, you know, reminisce about whatever. And I, I just wasn't interested. Like I wanted to go and hang out with like the, like the Japanese chefs and go and, and go to check out their like Rama places. They go to the weekend or go and check out Yamcha. And it blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. Like all of the sort of Asian influences here and, you know, and Italian and this, this whole melting pot that we're sort of known for now. But that I just found so excited, even though I was absolutely knackered. <laughs> and, so, and so that was it. And then, then you sort of immerse yourself. Just stop you there for a second. It would have been chalk and cheese coming from oh. Gravetime Manor to Tetsuya's. And you were there like eight years. So you did a, yeah. you did a solid yeah. stint. It was funny because I, I really thought, you know, when, you, when you're young and you, you know, you're a sous chef, and it's like, I'm a, oh, I'm a sous chef in a Michelin star restaurant. Like I'm, I'm someone now. And I remember coming to, to Australia and I really thought I was the bee's knees. I was like, yeah, I'm, this is, I'm, I'm fine. I can cook like a bloody legend. I'm, and I remember going to, <laughs> going to Tets and firstly seeing all of his accolades before my interview. And I was like, oh, bloody rumors. I was so nervous. And then that first two weeks, just looking at the ingredients. And I, I'd never worked with like half, you know, the seaweeds and you know, hajiki, yuzu koshu, soy, mirin, and all the others. You know, I was just like, wow, this is Christ. I, I, don't, I don't know anything. And um, of course, you know, sort of pick it up. It was re- it was so- it was really humbling. And it was really important, and and also I found it so interesting that we weren't just doing. All I knew was that kind of French British, you know, sort of Rue Brothers, Gavroche kind of bloodline that was sort of running through the UK at the time, which was also like yeah. so much respect for that stuff. But that, that was kind of it, it was it. There wasn't and David Thompson had just moved to London. He was making huge waves. Um, with, with Nam, he, he was, he was, I remember in front, front cover of the cater. I was like, oh, this, this guy. And I remember going there. It's my last meal I had before I came to Australia. And I was like, holy shit, like, this is, what is this? Because for me, it was like fishing, you know, it sounds terrible. And I know that the UK food has improved vastly, <laughs> but really, it was like fish and chips was a treat. You'd have the Chinese would be sweet and sour pork balls, you know, just like really bad. There was no Thai, you know, terrific Thai ramen. No Vietnamese, no. Yeah, none yeah, of that. Not a lot of Japanese. It really wasn't. Working for Tetsuya, what's the one thing you've taken away from that? It could be a funny story. It could be anything. Um, I think, to be honest, it was, I mean, we will do it now, but he was one of the first, uh, after Mark, he was a continuation of actually just not yelling and screaming in the kitchen. 
I, I love that. Like he definitely had his moments. I, I, I like the way he communicated. There was so much respect with, with, with Tex. I think it's just, just using, like we would get like the best ingredients you could get your hands on. I, and I, and I, I love that. I really respected that, that he would go to Tasmania, you know, visit farmers and he would just like embrace whatever it was, whether it was like the ocean trout or the spanner crab. And it would really get honed in on a, on a particular ingredient and really get to know it, you know, and, and, and try all these different techniques and ways. And I, and I think that was really nice. It was a real kind of, it was like a meditation on, on food and it was just, you know, it's hard work there, very repetitive and, and, and defensive, very formulaic. But you did, you really, it wasn't just this flighty or okay, well, special this and we'll never see it again. Like you really got an understanding about a particular ingredient or a technique. And I think that's really important. I think it's, and I think sadly you don't see that as much these days. Like with the, with the, with the younger guys, it's all, it's so, it's, it's, it's so used to this. What, what's next? All right, okay, so this is, I'm going to fill this fish. All right, I've done that now. Okay, and I was like, well, yeah, like it's, you know, you, so that was, I, I've got such a respect for that, for that just honing on those, the, those skills. Was that why no, you sta- that was that why you stayed so long? Because eight, no, years, I, eight I, years is really unusual. I mean, you know, there. Are- yeah, it is. I tell you what. So, so basically, so I did. I did five years, and then I was going to leave. I thought five years is definitely enough. And then Martin Ben, the head chef, gave gave his notice in. So it was either move with Martin to Singapore, or stay. And, and Tets offered me the job as head chef role. And I thought, Christ, I've come all the way over from the UK to work myself, work my way up in this kitchen. I'd always kick myself if I didn't take that on. Like Head Chef is inarguably, you know, one of the best restaurants in Australia at the time. And so, because I'd already done five, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to have to do, I sort of vowed to myself, I'm going to do three years. Whatever happens, no matter how hard it is, I, I, I knew it was a, a tough, tough gig. Um, so then I, I, did, I committed to three, three years mentally. And I gave him a year's notice. So when I did two, and I was doing, it was fantastic, like, incredibly well paid obviously prestigious it almost becomes your identity you know when you become a head chef of a famous place it's like you're Darren head chef of so and so it's not you know, you know it's like that's it's like you've got this sign on your forehead that that is and you can't and, and it's so egotistical but it's hard to lose it's hard, hard to let go it's like oh now what the only way is down from here you know that's your measure um, sorry your measurement that's what you're measuring yourself yeah it, it is everybody else exactly. too. yeah yeah and I was traveling the world, you know, cooking for, you know, Charlie Trotter's 20th anniversary with Hervé Tis and Ferran and, and all that. It's like the, the gods of our industry. Um, but yeah, but I gave him a year's notice. And um, so I was like, okay, eight years, that, that's enough. That's that's a long time in the kitchen because they, after that, I mean, even then you do become typecast. And it was, and I always knew it was going to be a challenge doing anything after Tets because he was such a known, all those dishes everyone knows and loves. But it's in Australia, like the Confi Ocean Trout, it's like this world famous I think once upon a time is the most photographed dish yeah. on the planet. And I'm like, if I open a restaurant tomorrow, everything's going to be a derivative of a text dish. I've been cooking this guy's food for eight years of my life. And so that's why I just, I, you know, I left it. I just did, I traveled and started doing pop-ups and it's like, I need, I just need to find my own thing. And those and pop-ups, that, yeah. those pop-ups became quite famous, weren't they? Yeah, it was funny because it was before like pop-ups are such a thing. Like everyone does, you know, yeah. pop-ups in every industry now. But it was, it was there was there was a little scene. Was, I remember reading about some. There was a lady in a, a um, flat in Hong Kong, and she was doing a pop-up restaurant where she'd invite her friends around and create this thing. I thought it was really like quite a nice story. And then I chatted to a chef in Chicago, and they were sort of doing it as well in a, like a garage. So I came back and just started doing. It. I created this like business, built the website, and I was just doing yeah little pop-ups in all sorts of like flower shops and galleries and all sorts of stuff. 
And I did one at the Ducks. So we, we the Ducks was just open at the cafe and it was still good. Like Marky won breakfast, best breakfast in Sydney. I think it'd been running about eight months. And so, but, so we turned it into like a fine dining restaurant with, you know, tablecloths, like the menus printed on organic cotton napkins and just, and kind of took the piss. Like everything was like this super over the top um, descriptions of dishes and sort of everything that we sort of thought was hilarious in other restaurants that we'd worked at. And um, it went, it went really well. It just like something clicked and it was really fun. And um, so, so that was it. And he sort of said, look, do you want to come and hang out a bit more? So I invested, I can't even remember, I might have felt like a couple of grand and became like the fifth blue dark. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Lots of famous people up in uh, Byron. Um, and on yeah. your Instagram, Chris Hemsworth, you seem to be mates with Chris. What's not, he like? I mean, look, I, um, I'm not like his best mate. I mean, it's, it's so funny because I've done a bit of work with Chris and, and, and as does Mags. And um, I did his um, sort of contributed some recipes for he's got like a fitness app centre. So I did, I did a little bit of that. We've done a couple of shoots and stuff together. But we are, we're not like hanging out and stuff. I see him a couple of oh, times. come on. We wanted, we wanted, yeah, no, we hang out all the time. Catch uh, up oh, mate, Gary, I, I wish, <laughs> I wish. Um, so, like, and he's a, re- I must say, he's a really cool guy. Like, annoyingly, he's actually lovely. <laughs> and you can just see, he's just, you know, I've got respect for, like, people. And you see a few of that, but, you know, there's, there's levels to fame. And you see, mm. you know, the big dogs come in and sometimes they've got the, you know, the 20 nannies and whatever. And I remember just seeing him for the first time and he's just that struggle of having the kids and, I sort of borrowed a chair from his table and he's like, hey, mate, here you go. And I, and I really like that. There's a real realism about him. I think Shannon yeah. Bennett, because Shannon Bennett lives up in Byron Bay and Shannon told me that, because um, his go, kids go to the local school, um, yeah. and he said it's just this weird, you know, Chris will drop in and do a cooking class or, you know, he said it's just, it's a, but everybody's so down to earth and normal. But that's what's a bit Byron. Yeah. yeah. You, uh, that, I must say you've seen it because you see the sort of, you know, celebs and stuff. Uh, and the interaction with this, with celebrity in different parts of the world is so vastly different. And, yeah. I, and I think in Byron, it is. It's you know the, we had some you know Russell Russell no, Brand Russell he, Brand he, he, and, uh, yeah he came in with his missus and we're just like it, it just it's so cool and and everyone's just like leaving him to do what his thing. They're not like scrambling to get selfies and and you do get these people like these uber famous people that probably get hassled and um, I, and I quite like that where it's just like yeah whatever. There's just like. Russell over there, or oh, there's Jack Johnson or whatever, and I, I get, I, I must, I get very starstruck. I remember when Jack Johnson came in, I just went to pieces, and I was just because I, I really like his, he's a surfer, he's he's really interested in food, and I remember just like asking, pestering Ben, our restaurant manager, like, so does he like? What's he say? Well, she's like, just go up and say hi. I was like, no, 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 there's no, there's no way. I remember so apart just, from the everyone's pretty cool about. <laughs> I remember doing it. I was at the Riff Festival in India. It sounds very. I was just filming out there, and it's yeah. uh, Mahendra Fort, which is in Jodhpur, and Mick Jagger was sitting on the table behind us, and I was just like, wow. I have, to, I, I just wanted to go and say hello, but I thought yeah. every, and you could see everybody wanted to say hello, but they just left him alone, and he was fine. Yeah, and then he just got up and left, and it's one of those moments where I got, but maybe he was lonely. Like maybe at that moment he's gone. Yeah, I'm sitting yeah, here, yeah, and yeah. no one has even like made eye contact with him. And he's, yeah. I think he's one of like the ambassadors of the Riff Festival out there. And I just thought, oh, what a regret. And my wife said, what, Mick Jagger was sitting behind you on the table and you didn't even go up and say, g'day. And I went, nah. It's funny, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, last question. Uh, what's next for the, the Blue Ducks? The three Blue Ducks, the five Blue Ducks, the ten Blue Ducks? Yeah. It's big, business, now. big business now, isn't it? Oh, Many locations. Yes, well, we, so we've got, yeah, obviously Bronte, Rosebury, Byron, Brisbane, at the W Hotel. And we've got, um, we're opening 
mm-hmm. in Melbourne. So we're open at Urban Surf. Um, yeah, surf park, which is which is that's a it's a big thing for us. So we will move down there, or a couple of us will move down there and sort of oversee that. Um, and that's it, mate. I, like I wish we were that clever enough where we would plan, you know, past the next few months. But we just a lot of it's just you know we, we try not to overcapitalize or overspend, and um and, and try and keep it kind of especially in these sort of you know times that we've sort of been yeah. through. And so that's it, and just honing on, on one place and and, and make it kind of decent and then just go from there but they're, they're, yeah we'll see how it goes obviously you get a lot of you know you get a lot of offers and people sort of go a bit crazy like oh let's just let's open let's do 10 let's do 20 this is but um I, i'm not i've not really got any i think none of us have got any aspirations to like drive ferraris or any of that stuff like it really like I've, I've seen all that stuff that sort of chasing you know bloody rainbows and so it's like look, as long as on a day-to-day week-to-week basis we're satisfied with what we do and we're happy and it's we pay the bills like all good like, i don't need to live in a castle and i, I think that make that i think that's it so if, if if something's presented that's exciting that's maybe fun and and you know not super risky you're not going to risk the whole thing then we, we have a look at it and you know we've got we've got an opportunity out sort of sifts all that stuff because you, you, you can spend you know it's like you can spend your whole life just checking out spaces and i oh, will do this let's do that and it's just like you end up ch- you end up chasing so many rabbits and catching none. So now we're just we're a lot more real with the possibilities and what we can do. And just like let's just without being super blind, just be, be grateful with what we have. But people come to our restaurants, and, and that and that's yeah, that, that's it. But also yeah. at the same time, not not a bad place to be able to put all your your great loves together. Um, Darren Robertson, it's been a pleasure, and I feel a little inspired. I feel energised from this chat this morning. So I thank really you so much, Gary. Play to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Swalensky with audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.